This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On May 4, 1908, the New York Times released an amazing story about a Boston broker named Charles C. Clapp. He was in charge of American businessman Thomas Lawson's mines in Mexico. While he was working there, he and his team had stumbled upon a cave. Inside the cave were at least 200 skeletons. They were over eight feet tall, and at least one skeleton that Clapp reassembled was just an inch shy of nine feet. And with 200 enormous skeletons in that one cave, it appeared that Clapp had found undeniable proof that giants once lived in the Americas. He even made plans to recruit a scientist, Professor Alexander Agassiz, to study the skeletons. But despite these impressive findings, the New York Times never followed up on the article about Clapp's giant skeletons. The cave in Mexico full of giants' remains was never heard of again. This was just one of dozens of articles about giant skeletons in America that appeared in national newspapers between the early 1800s and the early 1900s. But none of the findings in the articles were ever verified, and there are no giant skeletons on display in any museums. Were reporters getting tricked by pranksters all across the country? Or was the evidence of ancient giants being hidden away? In life, there's so much we don't know. But in this podcast, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every week, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries. I'm your host, Richard. And I'm your host, Molly. You can listen to previous episodes of Unexplained Mysteries, as well as all of ParCast's other shows, wherever you listen to podcasts. A new episode comes out every Thursday. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast, on Twitter at Parcast Network, and at Parcast.com. Some of you have been asking us how you can help support the show. Well, if you enjoy the podcast, the best way to support us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. This is our final episode on the giant skeletons of North America. 
From the early 1800s all the way through the 1920s, over 50 articles appeared in newspapers around the United States announcing the discovery of giant skeletons in America. But no proof of any of these giant skeletons exists today. In last week's episode, we looked into both Native American mythology and the process of human evolution in an attempt to understand the possible origins of the giant skeletons. We examined the Cardiff giant and discussed the likelihood that most of these supposedly giant skeletons were fakes. We also looked at author Richard Dewhurst's claims of a conspiracy by respected institutions like the Smithsonian to hide evidence of a race of giants from the American people. We decided that this conspiracy theory was probably not true. And while it's possible some of the giant skeletons were created by pranksters, it's unlikely that they all were. In this episode, we're going to deepen our search for answers by examining some of the articles on giant skeletons for clues and discernible patterns. We're also going to look into the actual biological causes of gigantism in humans and investigate examples of real people who have grown to astonishing heights. How tall can a human really become? And can genetics or a rare disorder explain the giant skeletons supposedly unearthed in the 19th and early 20th centuries? The sheer volume of newspaper articles about the giant American skeletons that were printed across the country from the mid-1800s through the early 1900s is astounding. For example, Let's take a look at some of these articles in the New York Times alone. April 5th, 1856. Enormous skulls and bones were found in Cartersville, Georgia. According to the New York Times article, the discovered thigh bones offered evidence of humans who were once 14 feet tall. November 21st, 1856. Workmen dug up an enormous human skeleton in Sheriff Wickham's yard in East Wheeling. When Sheriff Wickham and his brother measured the skeleton, they discovered it was an astonishing 10 feet and 9 inches long. The sheriff kept the bones of the giant on display at his workplace. December 25, 1868, quarrymen in Mississippi discovered a petrified giant who once stood at 10 feet and 9 and a half inches. The bones alone weighed 304 and a half pounds and the reporter estimated that in life the giant likely weighed over 900 pounds. February 14, 1871. Workmen in Iowa discovered a mass grave. The smooth stone walls of the tomb were carved with intricate religious symbols of birds, stars, and serpents that the workmen couldn't understand. Buried in the tomb were a shocking number of giant skeletons, and the largest skeleton in the group was a whopping seven feet, eight inches tall. April 24th, 1883. The skeletons of humans ranging from seven to nine feet in height were found buried in a mysterious mound in North Carolina. The skeletons were all found in a sitting position. Government officials in North Carolina were thrilled by the discovery, and the New York Times reported that they were sending the state geologist to investigate. February 8, 1890. A Native American graveyard was discovered in Mays Landing, New Jersey. Many of the skeletons ranged from between 7 and 8 feet in height. 
The skeletons were examined by professors from the University of Pennsylvania, and the two tallest skeletons were speculated to be a deceased healer and a chieftain named Keneawaga. July 4, 1891, a famous actor named Joseph Jefferson made an incredible discovery in Buzzards Bay, Massachusetts. He found an extremely tall skeleton on his property, at least six foot five or possibly even taller. But the fascinating thing about this skeleton wasn't just its height. It was the strange feature exhibited on its skull. There was only one eye hole, indicating one eye in the center of the skull's forehead rather than the two. Jefferson planned to take the remains to local scientists to see if he'd discovered an ancient race of cyclops that once roamed the American countryside. And on May 4, 1908, the New York Times published the article we described at the opening of the episode. Charles C. Clapp reported that he found 200 giant skeletons in a cave in Mexico. Clapp told an even more detailed version of his story to the Bisbee Daily Review a month later in June 1908. Clapp worked at the mines owned by Thomas Lawson, a Boston businessman infamous for manipulating the stock market. Thomas had formed the Copper Mining Company back in 1899 with Henry Rogers and William Rockefeller, brother of the infamous John D. Rockefeller. In the decade after founding the company, Thomas hired Clapp and put him in charge of the mines he owned in Mexico. It was a dangerous enough job that many of the Americans working at the mines were armed. One night in 1908, Clapp had set up camp with his men when he heard a gunshot in the distance. He gathered the workers and trekked into the hills to investigate the source of the noise. When he tracked down one of his foremen and questioned him, the foreman explained to Clapp that he had seen a mountain lion staring at him through the window of his tiny home. Terrified, the foreman fired his gun and the lion fled. Clapp and his men lit torches and went off in search of the mountain lion. They followed the injured animal's trail of blood to the mouth of a strange cave. The entrance was almost entirely blocked, except for a small section where the stones had been knocked out of place, perhaps by the injured lion. It was a big enough hole for Clapp and his men to clamber through and enter a dark, small tunnel. The only light came from the flickering of their torches. Eventually, the narrow tunnel opened up into a wider room where the men found 200 skeletons littering the floor. These were not just any skeletons. They seemed, by all appearances, to be the bones of a gigantic people. Clapp and his men quickly assembled one of the skeletons and realized they were looking at a human who would tower at nearly 8 feet and 11 inches tall. When Clapp measured the skull, it was an incredible 18 inches in length. For comparison, the average skull length of a modern male is 9.4 inches. Clapp also found a large hatchet. Crafted from stone, the hatchet weighed a hefty 30 pounds, a tool that could only have been wielded by enormous hands. Charles Clapp had big plans for these giant skeletons. He believed they were proof of a race of giants that existed long before the Aztecs. He wanted to bring in the esteemed professor Alexander Agassiz, an American scientist and zoologist, to study the enormous skeletons. 
He also wanted to show the remains to a magazine writer named Roland Thomas, who Clapp was convinced would write up a profile about his impressive discovery. But after the two articles about Clapp's skeletons appeared in the papers, Clapp was never heard from again. Perhaps he just wanted his 15 minutes of fame. Or maybe, just maybe, the giants did exist. And all it took to keep them hidden was an intricate government cover-up aimed at keeping the skeletons out of American hands. Our story will continue in a moment after a brief message. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now our story continues. In 1908, a Boston broker named Charles Clapp made an impressive discovery in Mexico. Lying on the floor of a hidden room in a boarded-up cave were the remains of 200 enormous skeletons. At least one of the skeletons was almost nine feet tall. It seemed the world might finally have definitive proof as to the existence of ancient giants. Clapp was confident in his findings, and he wanted the world to know. He told the New York Times and the Bisbee Daily Review that he planned to recruit magazine writer Roland Thomas to do a feature on the skeletons. Clapp was even convinced his discovery could be backed by science. He wanted and attempted to get Harvard-educated zoologist Alexander Agassiz to study these giant skeletons. But unfortunately, after he told the newspapers his story, Clapp vanished from public view and the hundreds of giant skeletons in the cave were never heard of again. The papers never followed up on Clapp's amazing find. This was an unfortunate pattern with most of the articles on discoveries of giant bones. However, because Clapp told multiple newspapers about the cave, and there are a few more details around its circumstances than some of the other reports, we are able to delve deeper to see if we can figure out why this follow-up never happened. The first possibility is that Clapp was making up the entire story. A mysterious trek through the Mexican wilderness? A fortuitous discovery of a race of giant men? It certainly sounds like fiction. And Clapp didn't exactly offer any proof of his findings. There are no pictures accompanying the articles. And he didn't bring any of the skeletons back from the cave in Mexico with him. Maybe that's because there was no cave and Charles Clapp was just telling tall tales. But on the other hand, Clapp believed in his story enough to tell it to two different newspapers. As far as we know, he had no history of fraud or lying on such a large scale. Making up such a discovery feels a little out of nowhere for somebody with little interest in archaeology. So if we assume then that Clapp wasn't lying, we need to uncover why there was no follow-up on his initial findings. We know from his interviews with the newspapers that he planned to approach a magazine writer named Roland Thomas. But it doesn't look like Thomas ever wrote about Clapp's skeletons. We couldn't find any records of a magazine article ever published by Thomas, or anyone else for that matter, connected to Clapp's findings. 
Perhaps Thomas decided he wasn't interested in Clapp's story, or maybe Thomas's editors refused to approve the feature. Let's keep in mind that Clapp didn't just reach out to the magazine writer. He also attempted to recruit a scientist named Alexander Agassiz. To give our listeners a bit of background, Alexander Agassiz was the son of a famous Swiss-American zoologist and Harvard professor named Jean-Louis Rodolphe Agassiz. Born in 1835, Alexander Agassiz soon followed in his father's footsteps. He went to Harvard University, where his father taught. He then became a scientist and the owner of a successful mining company. By 1908, Professor Agassiz was already in his 70s and well-known in the scientific community. It makes sense that Clapp would try to get his approval and endorsement. Obviously, Agassiz never came out with a report or paper supporting Clapp's findings on the giant skeletons in Mexico. Nor do we have a record that Agassiz traveled to Mexico or acknowledged being contacted by Clapp at all. The question is, why? Perhaps Agassiz decided that Clapp's skeletons weren't worth his time. Or maybe, given his advanced age, he was too frail to travel to Mexico and investigate the giant skeletons. Another possibility is that Agassiz did travel to Mexico with Clapp. But when the esteemed scientist examined the skeletons, he realized that Clapp got his measurements completely wrong. Maybe the skeletons were actually of average height, and to avoid embarrassing Clapp or himself, he never published his findings. That's certainly feasible. After all, Clapp admitted in the interview with the Bisbee Daily that he couldn't, quote, pretend to have any scientific knowledge of the human form, end quote. So there's a fairly good chance that the broker could have incorrectly assembled the nine-foot skeleton, or even incorrectly measured the skeleton's height, not intentionally, but because he wasn't properly trained. There is another possibility, though we're delving into a bit of conspiracy theory. Perhaps the Mexican government removed the skeletons and hid them away, preventing Clapp or any other Americans from studying them further. Clapp did tell the Bisbee Daily Review in June 1908 that the Mexican government didn't like to give Americans access to their relics. However, he hoped that a renowned scientist like Agassiz could convince the Mexican government to let him study the giant skeletons. Perhaps Agassiz tried to appeal to the government, but they still refused to give Americans access to the bones. The theory claims that the government would have been afraid that the Americans would steal the skeletons from them. After all, Mexico has had countless treasures and relics stolen from them over the centuries by Americans, Europeans, and third-party treasure hunters. Mexico had even seen other valuable skeletons be taken from them before. As recently as six years ago, looters stole priceless skeletons from under the country's nose. In 2012, Mexico lost a 13,000-year-old skeleton when it was snatched from an underwater cave in the Yucatan. The skeleton was one of the oldest specimens in North and South America. So if the Mexican government learned that there was a collection of valuable skeletons in Clapp's cave in 1908, they may have wanted to keep them safe in an undisclosed location to stop foreigners and looters from stealing them. But here's my issue with this theory. If Mexico has had giant skeletons in its possession since 1908, why not tell the world? You'd think that over a century later, those skeletons would be on display in a museum somewhere in Mexico. But this isn't the case. 
It's technically possible that the Mexican government engaged in some kind of conspiracy to hide the giant skeletons from the public, but there's no clear reason or justification for them to have kept crucial information about a race of giants hidden away for over a hundred years. Perhaps Mexican scientists studied the skeletons and came to a disappointing conclusion. They weren't nearly as tall as Clapp claimed they were. This definitely seems to be the most likely scenario, at least in Clapp's case. He wasn't a scientist, and he probably measured the skeleton improperly. We focused on Clapp's findings for a couple of reasons. His story about his excavation is rich with detail, more so than we usually see in the articles on the skeletons. And he also believed in his discovery enough to approach two different newspapers. But there are also specific elements of Clapp's findings in Mexico in 1908 that reflect patterns we've noticed in dozens of other articles about giant skeletons in America. At first glance, the plethora of articles have little in common beyond the fact that they're all discussing giant skeletons. The location of these discoveries varies greatly. They were reported all over the Americas, from Mexico to Iowa to New Jersey. The articles were all written by different newspaper reporters, and the dates of the articles span a hundred years from the early 1800s all the way through the early 1900s. Without a thread of consistency, it's hard to keep track of where exactly these were coming from. Because of the great difference in time they were written, it doesn't look like these articles were a type of fad or trend. And without having follow-ups by the same writer or a concentrated location where these giants were being discovered, it's nearly impossible to examine the specifics of each case. But upon closer inspection, the articles often contain some fascinating similarities. By looking at these similarities, perhaps we can start to form some conclusion as to the birth of the giant skeleton phenomenon. In general, the giant skeletons were found not by scientists, but by laymen. For example, the skeleton discovered in Sheriff Wickham's yard in 1856 was unearthed by workmen. The sheriff and his brother were the ones who claimed that the skeleton measured over 10 feet in length. The giant skeletons discovered in Iowa in 1871 were also found by workmen who happened to be digging into the limestone. The enormous 11-foot petrified skeleton discovered in Mississippi in 1868 was found by quarrymen. The giant cyclops found in 1891 in Massachusetts was discovered by a well-known actor. It seems that many, if not most, of these giant skeletons were discovered by ordinary American citizens rather than trained scientists. As was potentially the case with Mr. Clapp in Mexico, it's much more likely that an untrained layperson or amateur archaeologist might make a mistake in the assembly or measurement of an ancient skeleton. Yet many of the articles breathlessly discuss the workmen's and actors' sensational findings at face value, assuming them to be accurate. This highlights another pattern in these articles that appeared over and over again. Many of them mentioned that a scientist was currently on the scene preparing to analyze the skeleton's remains. Take the skeletons found in Georgia in 1856. A representative from the Smithsonian Institute was sent to Cartersville to analyze the bone. In 1883, when state officials in North Carolina discovered giant skeletons, they brought in the state-appointed geologist to inspect the remains. The skeletons found in 1890 in New Jersey were examined by professors from multiple universities. 
and they were supposed to go on display at the University of Philadelphia's museum. But as far as we know, the exhibition was never created, and the skeletons were never displayed for the public. So the general pattern goes like this. A workman or layperson makes a seemingly amazing discovery of giant skeletons somewhere in America. The layperson goes straight to the presses, and reporters eagerly present the story of giant skeletons to the public. An authoritative scientist or professor goes to the site where the giant skeletons were discovered to investigate the findings. And then that's it. This is where the story always seems to end. Perhaps this is because every time the scientists measured one of these supposedly giant skeletons, they realized they weren't so enormous after all. For example, what if those seven to nine feet skeletons supposedly found in New Jersey were actually much shorter than advertised? Perhaps the professors reassembled the skeletons and measured them again in their lab, only to realize the skeletons didn't even reach seven feet. But if this is the case, I wonder why the scientists didn't alert the public to their findings. Maybe they tried. But newspapers wouldn't exactly have been eager to report that they were wrong about the giant skeletons. A headline about finding ordinary humans does not exactly have the same ring to it as existence of giants confirmed. There's another possibility that contributed to the confusion. Maybe the skeletons were comparatively large compared to the workers digging them up. A hundred years ago, the average American man was about five feet and seven inches tall. A six- or seven-foot skeleton might have looked quite large to a man who was only, say, five foot five. It's possible that people were finding skeletons not of giants, but of statuesque Native Americans who towered over the average European immigrant. There's some evidence to support this theory. According to a 2001 study, members of the Plains tribes like the Sioux and the Cheyenne were the tallest people worldwide in the late 1800s. The average adult tribal member was around 5 feet 8 inches tall, a full inch taller than the average European-American in that time period. According to the study, this was likely because tribal members who lived on the plains had a nutritionally healthier diet than their European counterparts. Now, an inch may not seem like a lot of difference, but remember, we're talking about average heights. If the plains tribe members were on average taller than European-Americans, This means there may have been some exceptionally tall Native Americans bringing up the total average. And if the Plains tribemen were unusually tall in the 1800s, it's possible that their ancestors, eating a similar diet, were unusually tall as well. Which suggests that European-American workers dug up the ancestors of these tall Native Americans and simply mistook them for giants. So genetics and good health is definitely a possible explanation for the giant skeletons. But there's another polar opposite possibility that may explain these enormous skeletons. Perhaps the giant people whose remains were discovered around the country weren't in such good health at all. Perhaps they were suffering from a rare disorder, one that people worldwide are still diagnosed with to this day. It's called acromegaly or when it occurs in children, gigantism. Normally, the condition only affects three or four people out of a million, but perhaps the condition once affected a larger swath of the population. A group that would one day be mistaken for a race of giants.
Our story will continue in a moment after the break. Now our story continues. Between the early 1800s and the early 1900s, dozens of articles appeared in papers across America heralding the discovery of giant skeletons. It's possible that the workmen digging up the remains were uncovering the skeletons of exceptionally tall Native Americans rather than giants. Height is a genetic trait passed down from parents to children, which can result in some remarkably tall families. For example, take the Van Ness family who recently immigrated to the United States from Britain. They're one of the tallest families in the world. The father is six foot 10 and the mother is six feet. The children are even taller. One of the Van Ness sons, Vincent, is an impressive seven feet tall. So when the workmen dug up groups of tall skeletons, they could have been unearthing the burial plots of entire families who happened to have very tall genetics. It's certainly possible. After all, some of the skeletons were said to be between seven to eight feet, a height humans are genetically capable of reaching. But there's another possible explanation for the heights of these giant skeletons. These ancient people could have been suffering from a rare disorder known as acromegaly. Acromegaly is generally the result of a non-cancerous tumor that forms on the pituitary gland in the brain, which affects the levels of many key hormones in our bodies. This includes the growth hormone. When a tumor forms and presses on the pituitary gland, then your growth hormone levels spike. Your body is convinced that it needs to grow. Acromegaly isn't usually a genetic disorder. Anyone can develop the tumor at any age. When an adult develops the condition, they don't grow taller. That's because the plates in people's bones fuse in adolescence after they finish growing. Instead, adults who develop acromegaly usually grow wider. Their hands and feet get bigger. Their facial features change and thicken. Their jaws grow, pushing their teeth farther and farther apart. Their voices deepen, and sometimes they lose vision in their eyes. But when children develop this disorder, it's called gigantism. This is because children's growth plates are still open. So when a tumor grows on a child's pituitary gland and floods their system with growth hormones, the child's body starts to grow taller and larger. And if the tumor isn't removed, then this excess growth hormone puts a heavy strain on their organs that can eventually kill them. Gigantism may also potentially cause other health issues like cancer. Here, Dr. Samuel Epstein explains the link he's noticed between gigantism and colon cancer. There is a condition known as acromegaly or gigantism in which people grow to a very large height and they become giants, in fact. Now, in these people, you find very high levels of IGF-1 and, it, they, in, and they also have very high levels of colon, and, of colon cancer and colon polyps. As Epstein mentioned, People with gigantism grow so tall, they essentially become giants. On average, they reach heights of seven to nine feet. Notably, this is the same height of many of the unearthed giant skeletons mentioned in the 19th and 20th century articles. Although we don't know much about the ancient people of the Americas, we can look at several more recent examples of people who lived with gigantism for a glimpse at what life might have been like with this disorder. Anna Bates, a Canadian born on August 6, 1846, may have suffered from gigantism. She started sprouting up from an early age. By the time she was six years old, 
she was already 5 feet 2 inches, just an inch below the height of an average adult woman 100 years ago. By the time Anna was 15, she was 7 feet tall. Anna wasn't done growing. When she reached the age of 18, she was an astonishing 7 feet and 11 inches tall. Speaking of tall families, Anna's husband, Martin Van Buren, was almost as tall as her. He measured in at an impressive seven feet and seven and a half inches. Needless to say, the two couldn't fit comfortably in a normal-sized house. So they built a larger home for themselves with 14-foot-tall ceilings on farmland in Ohio. The furniture was all custom-made for their enormous frames. Martin later wrote an autobiography of his life, and he described how amusing he found it to see average-sized people attempt to sit comfortably in their gigantic chairs. Anna also became famous for giving birth to the largest newborn in the world at that time. The day her son was born on January 18, 1879, he was already almost 30 inches tall. Sadly, her son died within hours of his birth. But if he had survived to adulthood, perhaps he would have grown to his parents' astounding heights. Acromegaly, or gigantism, is an interesting disorder as it's most often developed independently, but according to the UCLA Pituitary Tumor Program, can also sometimes be passed down from parent to child due to an inheritable genetic mutation. However, the most famous sufferer of gigantism, Robert Wadlow, had a different condition that caused his gigantism. Robert was born on February 22, 1918, with an enlarged pituitary gland, which pumped excess growth hormones into his body for his entire life. He certainly didn't get his impressive height from his parents. His father was only 5 feet and 11 inches tall. In 1926, 8-year-old Robert was already taller than his dad. By the age of 18, Robert was 8 feet and 4 inches tall. And even after going through puberty, his unusual condition meant that he just kept right on growing. By the time Robert was 22, he was 8 feet and 11 inches tall and still growing. To sustain his unrelenting growth, he needed to eat a whopping 8,000 calories a day. For comparison, an average adult male only needs to eat an average of 2,500 calories. Robert's gigantism also came with other troublesome health issues. He struggled with numbness in his extremities and needed leg braces to walk properly. Sadly, it was Robert's leg braces that killed him. In the summer of 1940, he was given a leg brace that didn't fit quite right. In early July 1940, he developed a blister on his leg from wearing the ill-fitting brace. The blister became infected. He was taken to the hospital but doctors couldn't save him. Robert quickly succumbed to the infection. He died on July 15, 1940, and to this day, he remains the tallest known man to have ever lived. Looking at this disorder opens up the possibility that several of the ancient tribes in America had an unusual number of people living with gigantism. This would explain why some of the skeletons discovered were so unusually large. Maybe, but acromegaly usually affects only three to four out of every million people every year. And many of these articles claim that multiple or even hundreds of skeletons were found to be seven to nine feet tall. Native American tribes did go through a shocking population decline after the arrival of the Europeans. 
there may have been as many as 18 million people living here before the British colonists began arriving in the 1600s. Millions of Native Americans died over the next 200 years from disease, war, and an arduous exile west. By 1890, there were only around 250,000 Native Americans left in the United States. With so many Native American populations dying so quickly, perhaps that explains why there were multiple people with gigantism buried together. Even so, if only three to four out of a million people developed acromegaly in the Americas as they do today, European Americans discovering hundreds of skeletons with gigantism seems like a very remote possibility. But rare genetic disorders can be more common among isolated populations. For example, Ashkenazi Jews are more likely to pass on a rare genetic illness known as Tay-Sachs disease. Even blue eyes were originally a rare genetic mutation that all humans can trace back to one ancestor. Maybe there was an isolated group of ancient humans in the Americas who developed and passed on an unusual genetic mutation for gigantism. And just as the rare blue-eyed genes spread throughout Europe, the genetic mutation for gigantism could have spread across the American continent. But the Native Americans who possessed this mutation then died en masse after the Europeans arrived. It's a possible explanation. However, if this were the case, then there would be more proof. Scientists would have done follow-up studies on these skeletons. The skeletons would be exhibited in museums across America. And with modern technology, a scientist would have attempted to extract DNA from one of the skeletons in order to uncover the rare mutation. While it's exciting to ponder the possibility of a genetic mutation for gigantism getting passed down amongst the early populations in America, this probably isn't the answer to our mystery. The most plausible explanation for the giant skeleton articles is that the workmen who found the skeletons simply assembled or measured the skeletons incorrectly. And the 19th and 20th century reporters were so excited by these incredible stories, they immediately accepted them as true. But when scientists tried to corroborate these seemingly profound findings across the country, they quickly realized that these were not really giant skeletons. They were just ordinary-sized people. This fits the pattern of the articles and explains why there was never any follow-up. The reporters didn't want to admit the disappointing news that there were no giants. And as the 20th century progressed, reporters simply became more careful about how they described new discoveries of human skeletons. For example, on September 28, 1956, the New York Times reported that a 50,000-year-old giant prehistoric human had been discovered in France. But this time, they put the word giant in quotes. If you're looking for more Unexplained Mysteries, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, CastBox, TuneIn, or your favorite podcast directory. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram as at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. A lot of you have asked us how to help the show. If you enjoy the show, the best way to do that is to leave a five-star review. See you next Thursday. And remember, never take we don't know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the Parcast Network. 
It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Kerry Murphy, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. Unexplained Mysteries is written by Jeanette Manning and stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. 